Thank you, Julie. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to thank all the people who've been a part of worship this morning. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Mike and Phyllis. Hank, of course, the gathering band. I want to thank all the folks who are part of our greeting and hospitality team, all the folks who are connecting us online, whether you're live right now anywhere in the country or here in the area, whether you're catching up later on on a podcast or a YouTube broadcast. I'm so thankful that you're worshiping with us today. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And uh, being the, the senior pastor of a church like this is is interesting. Um, I don't know if you all know, but the average church in the United States before the pandemic, this may have even changed now, the average church in the United States has approximately 100 people in worship on a Sunday. That's an average size church, and that's wonderful. Uh, I've been a part of small church communities, and they are absolutely fantastic and life-giving, and so many people have found and grown in Christ in churches exactly like that. And this church has about twice that amount of people in the children's ministry alone on a Sunday morning. So it's, it's a little bit different logistically when it comes to that. And when you're learning how to be a pastor, and when you're going to seminary, when you're in training and all these kind of things, kind of in the water is that the expectation that when you're serving a church, there's going to be 50, 60, 70, maybe 100 people there on a Sunday. And your, your training and your formation is all kind of set up for that. And some churches are a little more complicated than that. I remember at one point when we were getting ready for the construction of the Baker Family Children's Wing, uh, we had out uh, schematics and all these things from the city and architects rendering, and we had located some sewer lines from the pre-World War II era that were running from one building to another, and did they have an easement or not have an easement, and we had to work with the city on all these kind of things, and I just remember thinking, none of this was in Bible school. They didn't explain any of this kind of work in Bible school. You didn't have preparation for it. And so uh, if you're leading any church, but particularly if you're, if you're leading in, in a church that's uh, got a lot of complications and nuances and opportunities in it, you have to look just outside of church leadership skills on how to grow as a leader. And so you saw yourself looking at business leaders and business practices sometimes. Uh, church is like a business in some ways. It's got balance sheets. It's got obligations. It's a legal entity. It's, it's got a purpose. So it's, it's a like a business in some way, but it's, of course, it's not a business. A church is like a nonprofit in some ways. I mean, ultimately, it's all about change in the world, just like nonprofits are. And it's built on key stakeholders and volunteers and people voluntarily giving their time, their energy, and their resources to support your mission. So the church is kind of like a nonprofit, but it's, it's not, a, not a nonprofit. The church is kind of like a school in that a key part of our practice is bringing people inside our doors, that they'll receive information, be shaped in new ways, and ultimately be transformed. It's like a school in those ways, but it's not a school. So when you're trying to learn how you grow in churches and lead in churches, and that means lay leadership as well because our church is primarily led by you, you can learn things from those other entities, but not all of them perfectly apply. And there has been one that I think has come around in the last 15 years that is helpful when it comes to the lens of what we're trying to do as a church. And that's the language of mission, vision, and values. Anybody ever been at an HR meeting or something like that? We're going to talk about the mission, vision, and values. I'll be honest, when I talk about stuff like that, I'm in real danger of some of y'all's eyes rolling back in your head to the point where you almost pass out. So... I'll be careful because if, yes, if that's your response, then you've experienced what happens when an organization talks about its mission or its vision or its values, but it doesn't live up to them, right? And so 
A mission says, what are we all about? What are we trying to do ultimately? Why do we exist? For what purpose and to what end? I was uh, doing some Googling around, uh, looking at some mission and vision value statements from different organizations. One said, we're trying to accelerate the world's adoption of sustainable energy. This is a company that ultimately makes products with their mission statement. That's why we're here. Accelerate the world's adoption of sustainable energy. Okay. Another one was an athletics uh, apparel company, and it says, we're trying to inspire every athlete, right? And if you have a body, you're an athlete, they said. And I said, uh-huh, proof that you're wrong. <laughs> um, that's, you know, mission statements. Those are mission statements. The church has a mission statement. The church's mission statement is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's the United Methodist Church's mission statement. We use it in our language a lot. Uh, love God, serve people, transform the world. There's another church whose mission statement is a lot wordier. Um, it says, to be a spiritual community where non and nominal Christians are becoming deeply, follow, deeply devoted followers of Jesus Christ, right? They like words a lot more than I do. That preacher preaches 45-minute sermons, by the way. But ultimately, that's to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's a mission statement. And so the language of mission statements has been really helpful. And I love the language of a, a vision statement because a vision statement says, what's it going to look like when we succeed our mission? And how are we going to do it? What, that, what's that going to look like? And the last piece in it is values, right? What's going to be the thing that holds us together? What's going to govern the way that we treat each other and orient ourselves and do our work for the purposes of living into our vision for the success of our mission, Right? And this sounds like, you know, corporate or nonprofit or TED Talk language, doesn't it? But it's actually got a lot of root in Scripture, and it's got a lot of root in how God leads and teaches and shapes God's people. And so it's that lens of mission and vision and values and things like that that I want us to take when we're examining today's Scripture reading. And so before I do that, I want to catch you up. We're at the conclusion of a sermon series right now. Uh, called The Power of the Promise. And September is kind of the beginning of the church year, and we're kicking it off with a focus on some deep foundational stories of faith. All these stories have been from Genesis or Exodus, these really key foundational stories of what God is doing with God's people and in God's world. We've talked about things like the promises God has made to Noah, the promises that God has made to Abram and Sarai. And one of the key things you need to understand about God is that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. That's what God is all about. That's how God does God's work. One of our responses has been to live back into those promises with God. God invites us to make covenant promises in return. One of the practices that we've done over the course of this month, I hope you've joined me, is saying the, the uh, covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition every single day. We have copies of it still. We have stickers and clings uh, and physical copies of it. Our tech team has made these awesome home screen locks uh, that can go on your phone. So every time you power up your phone, you see it. And that's just a prayer. It's an old prayer. It's a many hundreds year old prayer in the Methodist tradition. And we keep it around for a couple hundred years because it works because praying this prayer regularly helps to open your heart and your life and your spirit into inviting in whatever, whatever it is that God would have you do or be. So we've been praying that prayer together, and it's all been on the backdrop of living into these covenant promises that God is making to us and asks us to make in return. So a really good question is, why? What's God's point? What's this all about? For what purpose is God a promise-making and promise-keeping God? What's the end goal? What's the deal? What's the mission? And that's what I want to talk to us about today, because today's scripture reading doesn't make any sense if you don't have a concept of the idea that God is on mission. So 
God breathed creation into existence. At the very beginning of Genesis, we understand that God is loving community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's because God is loving community that creation exists in the first place. Because loving community invites more existence to love it in return. And that's the reason that not only did God make us, but God made us free. That's why God gave us the freedom to accept or to reject God's love. Because you can't force anything into loving you. So since the whole point is knowing and loving God in return, you have to be free to accept that love or to reject it. And as humanity grew up and began to understand and ask questions like, who are we and who are you and why do we exist and for what purpose, humanity began to come up with stories. Well, certainly there must be a creative force that's behind all of this that's just like us. And so the stories of humanity were capri- the stories that humanity made about gods were capricious and violent and angry and fickle. You can read them in creation stories all over the world. But God had a mission and a purpose to save, to restore, to redeem, to reconcile, to rebuild, and to renew God's human project. And God decides to do that through a people. God pulls a portion of God's people apart and begins to reveal God's self to them. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. These are my purposes. This is my desire. I'm not capricious towards you. I'm not fickle. I'm not constantly angry. Your existence is for a purpose and for a reason. And God starts to make promises about stability and trust and faith and love and live into them. God's ultimate mission is the salvation of humanity. The reconciliation and restoration of God with all of God's creation, especially God's human people. That's the mission. That's the whole purpose. The vision of God includes a people called apart made separate, to, to, into which God could reveal and proclaim and show trust and allow these people to grow and develop in faith until the point at which God could enter the human story, come alongside them in that community to reveal God's ultimate plans and purposes. That's the vision. But what are the values that are ultimately going to guide and shape and form these people? And that's where today's scripture reading came in. You may have heard today's scripture reading. If you've ever been to Hobby Lobby, you have seen this scripture reading before. (laughs) I mean, it's just begging to go somewhere in your house, guys. I mean, it really is. In uh, fancy Bible study talk, this portion of scripture is called the Decalogue. In everyday English, we call it the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. In order to understand what the Ten Commandments is, you need to understand the time in which it takes place. So the people of Israel have been enslaved for hundreds of years. Then God frees them, draws them out of that slavery. We heard more of that story yesterday about how God showing God's strength and power over and against anything that we think could possibly hold us down or threaten us. God makes it known that God is greater than all those things. You can actually trust in this kind of God to be victorious. And God draws those people to Mount Sinai, God's holy mountain. Over and over again in Scripture, the mountain is the place where you go to meet God. So God brings this whole community to this place where you can meet God. And then God's beginning to shape and teach those people how it is that God wants them to be. And that's the point of the Ten Commandments. It's hard for me uh, to just not stop and acknowledge that so many people— Um, typically people who grew up in some portions of the Christian family tree or maybe just had drive-by experiences of Christianity at some different points in their life, to think that faith is ultimately all about rules. 
and not breaking the rules so you don't get in trouble, right? Has anybody ever had faith pretty much explained to them that way? Just here are the rules and don't break the rules or you're going to get in trouble. I was, at, I was teaching a small group at one point and uh, I kind of made that analogy and uh, a woman in the small group shot up her hand and she said the number one thing I remember from my youth ministry growing up, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang out with boys who do. <laughs> okay, got it, right? See you next Sunday for another and don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang out with boys who do, right? It had been expressed subconsciously over and over again was that this is about rules and don't break the rules or you're going to get in trouble, right? But that's not the purpose of these outlines. I have uh, a number of small children. I've got four kids between the ages of four and 10. And uh, we've got some rules in the house. Um, my kids would tell you these are really unfair rules. We have some really unfair rules in our house, like no screaming and, and no hitting and no trying to ride the dog, you know? <laughs> these really brutal and unfair rules in our house, right? No lying, right? Said positively, speak respectfully, keep your hands to yourself, tell the truth, right? We don't have these rules because we're constantly wanting to punish our kids. We're constantly wanting them to live in fear of breaking them. What we're trying to do with all of these rules is teach them how we're going to be a family together. We're going to be a family together that respects each other, even when we're tired or hungry or grumpy. We're going to be a family that lives peaceably together someday. <laughs> right? That, that talks to each other the way that we would want to be talked to. We're going to be the kind of people who don't hit or strike or hurt others with our words, or right now we'll just settle for with our fists, right? It's not about rules so that you can get in trouble. It's about trying to teach you how to be the kind of family that we're going to be, and these are the guidelines to help you understand the purposes behind it. And the end goal is not just a bunch of little kids who follow the role. The end goal is a family who loves each other and abides in each other and respects each other and cares for each other. So the things that are out of bounds are the things that destroy the thing that we're trying to build. Does that make sense? That's probably how you think about rules in your family, even if you've never said them that way. In this early moment, God has called the people of Israel out of slavery, and they're just learning what it is to be God's people. They don't know God's priorities. They don't know God's values. They don't know God's purposes. They don't yet understand God's mission. But the first thing that God needs them to know is, this is how you're going to be my people. If you're going to be the people who can fulfill my vision of being the launching pad for the salvation project for all of humankind, these are the ways that you're going to need to be. The first four commandments, if you happen to have your Bible in it and you're one of my note-taking folks, that's wonderful. If you don't, that's fine. You don't need to pull it up on the screen. But the first four commandments are united and they all have to do with one thing. It's about your relationship with God. The first four commandments are about your relationship with God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't make wrongful names of the use of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The first four commandments are all about your relationship with God, about realizing that God is first above all things, that you can't try to reduce God into something so small that could fit into your hand or inside your brain even. 
about not misusing God's name, blaspheming God for your purposes. And finally, about recognizing that your relationship with God is not going to be measured by the amount of stuff that you do. One of the things I love to say over and over again is that the purpose of the Sabbath is not just so we can relax. The purpose of the Sabbath is to understand that God's highest value is not our productivity. And God also asks us to take a day to sit down and do nothing and realize the world still spins, even if you're not, because you're not God. God is. That's the purpose. By you living in that right relationship and understanding who God is and who you are, and all of that leads you into freedom. And the next six commandments are all about how you're going to treat each other. How you're going to treat each other respectfully. Honoring the sanctity of life. Honoring the possessions that other people have. Honoring the commitments and the promises that you've made to others and that others have made to each other. And by realizing that all of human existence and the fulfillment of your life is not going to be found in looking around at all the stuff that other people have and wishing it was yours. This is how it is to actually be shaped into the kind of people that are going to be capable of carrying the gospel and the promises of God into a world that desperately needs to hear it. It's not a whole bunch of rules that you need to follow, otherwise you're going to get in trouble. It's how it is that you can be shaped into the kind of people that can really understand who God is all about. That's the whole point of the Decalogue. That's the whole point of the Ten Commandments. Not a whole list of gotchas or places to mess up, but the starting place of forming a community that can truly understand what God's all about. And of course, I'm not a rabbi. I'm a Christian pastor. So I can only read this story in light of what I know comes next. A people who live in the light of these promises and do everything they can to follow the prophets, who make mistakes, who make missteps, but ultimately come to understand that God's purposes are about restoring and saving and fulfilling promises. And it's into that community that God jo that joins us, comes alongside us, is incarnate with us in God's only Son, Christ Jesus. And through his life and his death and his resurrection takes the saving project that God started with the people of Israel and expands it to all people, all time, everywhere. God had to start somewhere, but God ends with everyone. Because that's God's mission, the salvation of everyone. And God's vision was this community of people pulled apart, made special, into which God could join that through the life, death, and resurrection, everyone might be saved. And the values, right relationship with God and right relationship with each other, it's not one or the other, it's both. So where do you go from here today? Okay, really appreciate the guy wearing subtly, trying to wear UT colors in front of us, pretending like we don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Giving us a history lesson on the Ten Commandments. It's not about a history lesson on the Ten Commandments. It's about the values outlined by God at that beginning moment. This path towards salvation begins with right relationship with me, putting me first, putting me above all other things, not misusing my name, not just trying to earn or achieve, but instead to abide and understand who I am and what I do for you. And that the fruit of that might be in the way that you treat each other. 
the people in your family, the people in your community, the people in your church, the people in your world, the people on social media, everyone. That the fruitfulness of your relationship with God might spread into the fruitfulness of the relationship that you have with, you have with each other. And all of this, all of this is made possible is made real, is actually made achievable, moves from being a pep talk from a guy with a Madonna microphone into something that you can actually do in your everyday life through the power and grace of Christ. Because God promises, I'm with you. You're not alone. I am there helping, pushing, cajoling, promising. All you have to do is step into that promise yourself. So friends, for the last time in this series, the words are on the screen or on your phone or maybe memorized by now. I ask you to join me as we enter back into that promise with God. Would you please pray with me saying, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Great and loving God, we give you glory and praise and thanksgiving for your story of redemption and salvation, for creation that you so loved that you breathed into existence and also so loved that you came alongside it in the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus the Christ, not to condemn the world, but to save it. Lord, help us live in the power of these promises. And it's in Christ's name that we trust. And that together we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As our communion stewards come forward to assist with the serving of the sacrament today, I do so with the reminder that we always move past the idea that these promises are just words and into the fact that they are embodied in Christ Jesus when we receive them in the sacrament of Holy Communion. On the day that he was to give himself up for us, Christ had dinner with his friends, his followers, his disciples, and knowing how much they would need to know that those promises were real and how much we would need to know those promises were real, he took an ordinary loaf of bread, gave thanks over it, broke it and passed it and said, take all of you and eat. This is my body. And when it's broken, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal was over, he took a cup of ordinary table wine, gave thanks over it, blessed it and passed it and said, take all of you and drink. For this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we do so often in remembrance of the one who gave his life so that we might step into the promises of God. 
In just a moment, you're going to be dismissed row by row by ushers, starting in the rear of the room here on the first floor. You're going to come down these aisles to two two stations on each side. Uh, If you come forward with your hands held open like this, someone with a food service glove on their hand is going to take a piece of bread and place it in your hand. You'll then go to the next station where we'll have a pre-filled cup of juice. We always use non-alcoholic grape juice because we always want to be fully inclusive of people who are 100% sober. You'll then eat that bread and drink that juice and do so as a sign and remembrance of the work of Christ in your life. As you exit to the uh, rows on the outside, there's going to be a receptacle that can receive that now empty cup. The table is for everyone, every age, every background, every understanding. This meal of Christ is present for you. The table is set, the meal is ready. Come forward and be fed.
As we come to the end of our time of worship today, I want to share some happy uh, church news with you all this morning. A regular feature of our band is Dr. Clark Metter, the guy in the brown Telecaster who plays in the back. And uh, he's going to be taking a bit of a break from the band for a while because on Thursday, uh, he and his wife Kelly welcomed a baby boy. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Very sweet. And then five minutes later, they welcomed another baby boy. Um, and then five minutes after that, they welcomed another baby boy. So, yeah, so keep them in your prayers. Uh, I think Clark said he's retiring. From is he retiring from that? So he ain't coming back. So if you want to play guitar in the band, yeah, we need somebody. If you also want to go bounce a baby, they've got one for you. Uh, I think they named them John, Wesley, and Dr. Brewster is what I heard. So that was the name of the babies. So keep them in your prayers. We're so happy for them. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor or guest, we're so thankful that you joined us. Uh, a lot of people are going to be headed over to Wesley Hall immediately following the service. There's coffee and breakfast tacos there. Our young professionals have a small group table discussion immediately following. If you're a first-time visitor or guest, there's a station called the on-ramp that can answer any questions you may have. We also have a gift for you as well. Uh, a number of you have been asking, how can I get one of the swaggy name tags? And there's an order form for those over there as well. Your share of is a couple dollars. We pick up the rest of it. So if you'd like a First Church name tag, we'd love for you to wear one. It helps visitors and guests remember names and get comfortable a little bit more quickly. I also want to let you know that after this and every service, we have someone designated to pray with you. If there's something on your heart and mind right now that you really want to lift up in prayer, don't walk out of here without praying for it first. Andrea Rankin is going to be over here next to our Congregational Care Ministry signs. She would love to pray with you and lift up whatever concern you have on your heart today. Now, would you please bow your heads and receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face raise to shine upon you. And may you, full of trust and hope, step into the covenant promises of God now and every day of your life. Amen. Go in peace.